Hey, Vet Girl podcast listeners out there. This is Dr. Garrett Pachtinger, board certified criticalist and co-founder of Vet Girl. Today, I wanted to talk to you about smoke inhalation, and it really is quite an interesting disease or injury process that we see in our small animal patients. Fortunately, I would say that we don't see this on an everyday basis, but we certainly see smoke inhalation injuries often enough where we should have a good understanding of what to look for, how to treat, and certainly how to reduce morbidity and mortality in our patients. When I think of a smoke inhalation or smoke injury patient, the first thing to remember is that it can cause a variety of injuries and a variety of clinical signs. We can have patients that inhale that toxic, high temperature fume, the irritation of your mucous membranes. You can have impaired oxygen delivery as you breathe in those toxic gases. They can present with neurologic dysfunction and even secondary injuries such as pneumonia from the severe airway and lung trauma that we see. There are certainly a variety of toxic fumes and gases and debris and things that they inhale during a house fire which can cause them to be quite sick. When we think about the common gases that our patients, or even us unfortunately, can breathe in in a house fire situation, one of the ones we worry about the most is carbon monoxide. As we all know, carbon monoxide is a colorless, tasteless, and odorless gas. Many of us have carbon monoxide detectors in our house as a result of this to make sure that we are safe in our house. The concern with carbon monoxide is it does, like oxygen, bind to hemoglobin, but it has a much greater affinity for hemoglobin. What we all remember learning in veterinary school is about 200 times the affinity as compared to oxygen, so it can displace that oxygen from the hemoglobin, shift that oxygen dissociation curve to the left, so that oxygen has an even harder time getting off our hemoglobin. That carboxyhemoglobin results in that slower release of oxygen from hemoglobin. Ultimately, what we have is tissue hypoxia. There are other gases that we see in house fires, for example, hydrogen cyanide. It's a gas form of cyanide that we can see when substances like wool or cotton or certain types of papers are on fire. There can be other gases too, nitrogen for example, when nylon is burned or other related gases. Ultimately, what we worry about with these combination of gases are not only oxygen-related issues but weakness, neurologic signs, tachycardia and other cardiovascular abnormalities such as arrhythmias, or even things like seizures. So certainly these gases can be irritating not only to the mouth, the mucous membranes, the trachea, the lungs, but all parts of the body. So ultimately, as far as clinical signs are concerned, we certainly have to be very careful and cautious monitoring that patient's respiratory system. They can come in with mild signs, tachypnea and coughing, or severe respiratory distress. The respiratory distress may be as a result of primary lung-related injury from pneumonitis or pneumonia itself, but we can also see upper respiratory signs such as inspiratory stridor from animals that have upper airway swelling from the heat, the smoke, and the irritation. Vet Girl tip As we talked about with carbon monoxide poisoning, check out their mucous membranes. Cherry red mucous membranes can be noted with carbon monoxide toxicity. Second vet girl tip, 
Don't always rely on your pulse oximeter. We know that in most of our respiratory patients, our pulse oximeter can be very helpful to determine if our patient is hypoxemic and as a result in respiratory distress. Don't forget that carboxyhemoglobin can make your pulse oximeter challenging to interpret as the pulse oximeter cannot differentiate between oxyhemoglobin and carboxyhemoglobin. So ultimately, you are going to be left with your clinical intuition, clinical signs, and other diagnostics such as thoracic radiographs to help determine if that patient is in true respiratory distress or not. But again, don't always rely on that pulse oximeter as it cannot differentiate oxyhemoglobin from carboxyhemoglobin. The other comment, and I would be yelled at from our vet girl ophthalmologist if I did not mention this, is not only do we need to look at their entire body for evidence of burns or irritation, but do make sure you check out their eyes. After being in a fire due to not only the heat, but all of the chemicals in the air and the gases and the smoke and the environment, they can have corneal ulceration, corneal erosion, or other eye-related injuries. So make sure that we fluorescein stain and treat their eyes appropriately, not forgetting that's a very important part of their patient assessment. Let's move on to a little bit of a treatment thought process for our smoke inhalation or house fire cases. When we think about a patient that comes in with smoke inhalation or being in a house fire, of course, remember your triage examination, your ABCDs, your airway, breathing, circulation, and dysfunction, your neurologic examination. We have to make sure that they are breathing appropriately, remembering they can have primary lung-related injury, either inflammation, pneumonitis, or even pneumonia infection, but they can have oral cavity or upper airway swelling, laryngeal swelling, a lot of secretions that can obstruct their airflow. So make sure that we evaluate their entire respiratory system. Even if you're not sure if they are oxygen dependent or require oxygen, VetGirl does recommend that all patients after being in a house fire receive supplemental oxygen. The reason is being in an oxygen cage can help decrease that binding of the carbon monoxide, can help decrease that carboxyhemoglobin as compared to oxyhemoglobin. So we want to try to reverse that. Again, if you don't have a cooximeter in practice, it's going to be very challenging to truly measure carboxyhemoglobin, but what we do know is that supplemental oxygen can help them be better and feel better faster. So when in doubt, place your house fire smoke inhalation patients in the oxygen cage for best practice. I would like to think at least 6 to 12 hours overnight if they're going to be in your hospital, but supplemental oxygen can be very helpful for these patients. Regarding other therapy, intravenous fluid therapy can also be very helpful. Number one, we certainly want to make sure that they are well hydrated and maintain their intravascular volume, but it is also important because if they are panting, don't forget, they can have lots of insensible losses, lots of moisture loss from their airways, so we have to be very careful to give them fluids, and I know it's going to sound a little bit challenging, but careful in that we also don't give it too fast. If these patients have pulmonary parenchymal damage and disease, if we bolus them rapidly and do not watch them carefully, we can have fluid shifting into their lungs from all of that inflammation, pulmonary edema. So Vecrol's tip, rather than giving large boluses, potentially consider giving smaller aliquots with more frequent reassessment to make sure that they are getting the fluids they need, but also at the same time, not at risk for pulmonary edema and fluid overload into their lungs.
regarding their eyes. At minimum, if they do not have any evidence of corneal ulceration, a topical lubricant such as optics care can be considered, but if they do have any evidence of corneal erosion or ulceration, make sure to treat them with appropriate antibiotic therapy to prevent secondary corneal infection and a worsening ulcer. Antibiotic therapy is a question that we get commonly asked, and regarding just simple pneumonitis, there's conflicting information out there. The easiest thing for me to say is if you have any evidence that there's pneumonia, I would certainly treat with broad-spectrum antibiotic therapy. That's the best way to prevent them from getting worse. Finally, bronchodilators can be helpful in these cases. If there's lots of airway inflammation and bronchoconstriction, if they're having respiratory distress, consider a bronchodilator to help open up those airways. Regarding steroids, there certainly are indications to give steroids. For example, upper airway laryngeal or pharyngeal edema would be an indication for me to consider a corticosteroid. I do not give steroids for general trauma, shock, or pneumonia. But if there is evidence of swelling, edema, or conditions that you feel are appropriate for steroids, I would consider it in my treatment plan. But just be careful, steroids certainly have a big downside used in the wrong situation. Ultimately, this is not the most common condition that we see in our ER. Fortunately, we care for our pets very carefully, and I hope they're not in many house fires. But the good news is, with appropriate therapy and treatment, most of these patients do well. For my experience, 24 to 48 hours in the hospital is a reasonable time frame for them to get the care that they need. Oxygen, careful fluid therapy, potentially bronchodilators, eye care, antibiotics, and potentially steroids in careful situations. Hopefully, with rapid assessment, early intervention, and careful treatment, we can save these patients that have an unfortunate accident of being in a house fire.